0: Be starting acts, but we had these two weeks. Ernesto was like, I don't know what to do with them, dude. Let's just do a palate cleanser these two weeks. We'll preach two separate sermons. And I knew what he was gonna do when he said it. And I was, I didn't like it. He told me, he goes, Let's just preach separate psalms. Guys, I hate when Ernesto does that to me, and he does it to me every other time I preach. He's like, dude, just read any psalm, pick any psalm. Guys, I always tell him, I'm like, guys, just, earn. give me the passage. Like, I'll preach a genealogy, I'll preach the law, just give me a passage. But, you know, I told him, I was like, all right, I'll read through the psalms. The reason I don't like it is there's, there's pressure to it. There's like a weird pressure. It's like, why'd that guy pick that? What a weirdo. I, I don't like that. <laughs> like, also... I'm brain broke. When Ern tells me to pick a psalm, my brain does not go, dude, you like these five psalms, pick one. My brain goes, all right, dude, I guess you got to read every psalm and (laughs) pick one that you feel like you got to preach on. And I, I know that that's like a limitation I place on myself, but that's, it's, I don't know, it's mystical of me, I guess. I like want to hear from God or I want to feel something that's like, this is what I should do. And guys, This time, I got to like the 100th Psalm, and I was like, nothing is sticking out to me. I highlighted these chapters. I was like, I guess I could preach on, you know, this or that, but nothing was sticking out to me, and I started to get a little worried. I was like, man, we're nine days away from me preaching. I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, I don't even, I haven't even started the sermon. It's a lot of work before the work. I don't know if it's the next day or the day after, but all of a sudden, I got this urge in me. I was like you don't want to preach this, Holmes, you want to preach something else. And I texted Ern. I was like, dude, can I preach something else? And he asked me, he goes, what would you preach? And I told him, and he did not respond. (laughs) I was like, okay, like, he probably wants to talk to me about it, because guys, what I want to preach today is controversial, it's uh, not easy And I texted him on Saturday. I was like, he's probably holding on to it for Sunday. He wants to talk to me on Sunday. So I came in last week and I sat down and I looked up and I saw the title of Ernesto's sermon. Ernesto preached on the blessed life last week, right? For those of you who are here, Ernesto preached about blessed is the man whose sin is not counted against him. That's true. We live, as Christians, we live a blessed life. Jesus came, he died, he died. He rose again, he washes away our sins, he restores the image of God to us, he reunites us with the Father. Church, that is a blessed life. Blessed beyond words, beyond recognition, unbelievable. What an easy sermon to preach. But I looked at the title and I couldn't help but laugh because these sermons, these two sermons were not supposed to be connected. They're supposed to be palate cleansers, not a series. But what I asked Ernesto to preach was connected, inextricably connected. You see, Ernesto preached about the blessed life. I want to preach about the meaningless life. That's what I want to preach about today. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The book of Ecclesiastes is, like I said, a controversial book. Um, It says a lot. And this book makes us uncomfortable. But guys, it's one of my favorite books. And so I wanted to open it today. And like I said, I couldn't help but laugh when I looked at Ernesto's sermon title. I mean, his is the blessed life, mine is the meaningless life. Guys, this sermon series, instead of being separate, instead of being two different things, it's going to work as a duology. It's going to work as a two-part series, giving us a definition of what it means to live life As a human, true, we live a blessed life, but the book of Ecclesiastes gives us a different image. So go to Ecclesiastes chapter one, read the whole chapter, we're going to spend most of our time in this chapter, we'll go to four at one point and then the end, but let's read the chapter, take in the images, let's do it. Says the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. I, the preacher, have been king over Jerusalem, over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind." What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom, and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, that he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Different image. Different image from what Ernesto talked about, right? Ernesto talked about the blessed life, a happy image. Guys, we get a very sad image of life. Book of Ecclesiastes is framed like this. It's a guy who calls himself the teacher or the preacher or Kohelet. There's different names for him. I'm going to probably call him the teacher. That's what I often call him. Even though this says the preacher, the teacher is how it's framed. And this guy says, I was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I had all this money and all this power. I had all this time, all these resources, all this privilege. And I decided, I'm going to do everything in this life. I'm gonna spend all of this and I'm gonna see what gives meaning to life. And at the end of everything he does, the Bible says in 13, it says, I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. He said, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all is vanity. I don't think vanity is a good word though. Because you're so vain, you probably think this song is about you. Vanity means something different now. Like, we think that it's about thinking that you're beautiful, right? Guys, the word is better understood as meaningless or vaporous. So, life is a vapor. The teacher in Ecclesiastes, he lives this whole life, he experiences this whole life, then he describes it to us. He starts with creation, these images that we get in the beginning. He says that the earth is here forever, generations come and go, the earth remains. He talks about us living and dying, but the earth remains. He gives this image of the sun rising and setting and rising and setting. He gives images of wind going round and round on its circuits, never coming to a rest. He gives images of the rivers flowing into the lakes, but the lakes never filling. He says Everything is wearisome. It is tired. He gives an image of the earth, creation itself, spinning and spinning. My professor called it the cosmic hamster wheel. Like this universe spins, it moves and moves, but it never goes anywhere. It is tired. Then he turns his direction to man. He says the eye is never satisfied with seeing, the ear is never satisfied with hearing. He says that it's an unhappy business to be here. He says that living life is like striving after the wind, trying to catch the wind. Guys, this is a dissonant image from the blessed life. So dissonant, in fact, that I think we as Christians read stuff like this and we're like, I'm gonna skip this book. (laughs) Like, I don't know what to do with this book. But guys, I want to point our attention to this book. It's one of my favorite books, and I think that it's here to help. So guys, my first point, life is meaningless. That's what it says. Life is vaporous. But What do we do with that? What do we do with that statement? I think that the first thing, I'm going to approach a couple questions and give some answers. That's how this is going to be structured. The first question, what do we do with that? What do we do with this statement that life is meaningless? I think that what we do seems very simple, uh, almost so simple that it doesn't need to be stated, but I think what we need to do is just acknowledge that that is true. That is true. It can be true. Life does feel like a vapor. It comes and goes. Generations, they live and die and all of their work is forgotten. Guys, I pour concrete. That's what I do. I'll pour driveways. One day, all of my driveways will be grown over or torn out or earth will reclaim them and everything I spent 50 hours a week on will be forgotten. That is a vapor. That is, as the teacher says, meaningless. And so guys, I think the first thing we got to do, embrace that this is true. This is God's word, right? Is God a liar? Like when Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed, he's talking about this book too. And so we have to reconcile this. If we believe that this is true, what does it mean for us? I think that we, like I said, we cannot run from this. We must acknowledge that it's true. I think often, it's not hard to acknowledge that this is true, right? Uh, If we're honest with ourselves. Flip to chapter 4. Verse one, this is an example that the teacher gives of life feeling meaningless. It says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold the tears of the oppressed and they had no one to comfort them. And the side of their oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. The sad, <laughs> But guys, the teacher looks around, he says, I look around and I see oppressed people. I see evil people with power putting their thumb on weak people. And I see that there is no one there to wipe their tears. Guys, that's true about our life today. I mean, there are people that are born into dictatorships. Like Kim Jong-un eats all of people's food and tells them that he does not poop. And they have to go like this. It's like, that's crazy. People are born, they live and die in that. Guys, that is what the teacher is talking about. When he says life is meaningless, he looks around, he talks about the injustice of this world. This world can be unjust. I've seen it in our church. I've seen unjust things happen. Bad things happen to good people. Well, theology says that there are no good people. You guys are good people. <laughs> you guys are good people. We have all sinned. Sure, but you're good people. And when I see bad things happen, what do you do with it? How do you explain it? Life can be a vapor, a chasing after the wind. And I think it's, oh, Machiavellian to bring up someone else's pain, so I guess I'll bring up, you know, my own but like my grandma was 53 when she died. And she like she was cool. Like she watched Star Trek and she was like an old lady in a biker gang. She was cool. And she got hepatitis C from a tattoo party and died. What do you do with that? That's I cannot make sense of that. My kid will never see her. It's sad. Life can be sad. Like I said, dude, thank you. Kenny, thank you. Life can beat us up, guys. We can either choose to run away from it. I think Christians often, they look at it and they go, well, God has a plan. Guys, that doesn't help my heart. That does not help your heart when someone dies, when something is taken from you. It does not help you. So guys, this book, I believe God's word is given to us to help us. That's why it's here. So how does this help us? How does this grim picture help us? I think very simply, this is God showing us that he understands us. This is God showing us that he understands us. And I want to read an excerpt, not from the Bible, but from a book called The Magician's Nephew. It is a children's book. And I'll probably cry during this too. Um, Guys, it's in the Chronicles of Narnia series. The Chronicles of Narnia series is written by C.S. Lewis. It is basically the idea is humans get to enter into this world and watch a new world be created and watch Jesus as a lion uh, enact redemption history in a different way. So we get to see Jesus redeem this other world. And so there's tons of parallels to our world and our scripture. In The Magician's Nephew, this is the prequel. So there's a lot of parallels to Genesis. And it's about a boy named Diggory whose mother is so sick that his uncle has to take care of him. His uncle is a very evil man. His uncle is a warlock. He practices evil magic. And Diggory is removed from his mother who loves him. And guys, that is a fictitious scenario, but we know that to be true in this world, right? There are children that are removed from their families by the injustice of this world. That's something that's true. And so Diggory goes, he goes to Narnia, he does all of these things, he does some damage, and Aslan gives him this opportunity, Aslan's the lion, he's the redeemer, he's Jesus, And he gives Diggory this opportunity to set things right. He says, go and find this apple, this silver apple. And when we plant it, from it, a tree will grow that will protect Narnia. But Diggory finds out this other thing. If he keeps the apple for himself, he can heal his mom. He has this choice. Should I heal my mom? Should I do what's right? I want to read this excerpt. I think it gives us a powerful image of God, a unique image of God. Aslan asked him, will you help? Digri says, I'll try to help you if you'll promise to help my mother. But he realized in time that the lion was not at all the sort of person who could try to make bargains with. But when he had said yes, he thought of his mother and he thought of the great hopes he had had and how they were all dying away. And a lump came in his throat and tears in his eyes. And he blurted out, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure my mother? I don't know about you guys, but we've all prayed that prayer before. A lot of us have prayed that prayer before. Won't you, can't you do something to help? And he asked that. Up till then, he had been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. Now in his despair, he looked up at his face. What he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own, and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. My son, my son, said Aslan, I know grief is great. Only you and I know this in this land. We get this image of God from this book, guys. When I read it, it stuck with me. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is. The book of Ecclesiastes is God looking at our grief. He's looking at us. We look at the world and we see injustice and he's telling us, he's not telling us, oh, don't worry about it, dude. I have a plan. Just follow in blind faith. He's not saying these rote theology things, these platitudes that we try to hide behind. This book is him looking at the plight of humanity, the grief of humanity. He's saying, I understand you. I believe that what you feel is true, and I see your pain. It's the lion crying, guys. It gives us justification to feel the hurt that we feel in our lives. This book is here to heal our hearts. It is here to validate. When we feel doubt, when we feel pain, when we feel strife, when we see that children are born sick and they die, and we go, why would God let that happen? God is not returning and saying, well, dude, shut up. I've got a plan. He's returning with this book saying, it doesn't make sense sometimes. So guys, I wanted to point us to this book. I wanted to make us aware of this book that we so often skip over because it makes us uncomfortable and makes us cry about kids' lions. (laughs) It's, It's an uncomfortable topic, but guys, it's here to help us. That's what it's here for. It's here to heal our hearts. And so, let's flip to the end of the book. Ecclesiastes 12. He says, in verse 13, The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil. The teacher says at the end of this whole book, you know, I encourage you to read it. He tells you to enjoy your life. He tells you, you know, things are sad. But at the end of all of it, he says, I could not make sense of it. Life felt like vanity at times. I saw injustices happen. There was no way for me to make heads or tails of it. But all I know is this. Fear God and keep his commandments. Trust God and keep his commandments because God will make things right. Life may be an injustice at times. It may not make sense, but God will make things right. guys, that's how he ends his book. And he dies. Like he doesn't die in the book, but he's dead now. And that's where he ended. But guys, we don't end there. We end in a much greater place. See, because not only do we know that God will make things right, we know how God makes things right. Turn your attention back to the blessed life we talked about last week and we talked about in the beginning. Church. That is how God will make things right. That is how God will judge things. This life may not make sense at times, but trust God because he sent his only son to die on the cross for our sins. He restores the image of God to us. He makes us inheritors of God's inheritance. Jesus will fix this earth. He will come through the clouds. He will have a sword in his mouth and he will slay evil. Things will be made right. And so guys, that's the life that's coming. And I think knowing that the blessed life is there helps us cope with when life was meaningless. Life doesn't make sense. I think everyone in here will have a moment in your life, at least one, where it's like, why did that happen? Knowing that Christ will make things right helps us get there. Knowing that Jesus loves us so much helps us through the days that are hard. So guys, as you live this life, if you have questions, these questions that the teacher asks, don't be ashamed. You know, don't feel pain that you're not believing enough. Guys, God gives us this book to tell us you're allowed to feel pain. You're allowed to ask questions. You are allowed to hurt Do not deny your heart the care that it needs. This book is here to help us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time. Uh, Lord, I ask that uh, the message would be an encouragement, not a discouragement. Lord, just uh, be with us, and I ask that you would bless everyone in here today. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm dismissed, right? (laughs)